This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Frank Collett, CFO of SkyTap, and you are listening to CFO Thought Leader. This is episode 474. And one of the things that we were struggling with was the pace at which we were hiring. And and to hire is to grow our revenue. And so, you know, you've only got so many hours in a day. And so you need to, you know, add people to be able to add more revenue to the top line. And we, we didn't have a good connection between how the people team and the finance team and our delivery teams were all working. And so we came up with three simple metrics for how we'd be able to know how we should be hiring, the pace at hiring. And finance led the process and, and was able to bring together so many stakeholders around the business to discuss these key measures. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. Finance leader Kareen Wah climbed the finance career ladder, leading her to the CFO office at Traction on Demand, the largest independent Salesforce consulting and applications developer in North America. One rich with new data strategies. We speak to Kareen about the experiences that propelled her up the ladder and into the consulting world. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. I know you've uh, built a career in the technology realm and has had uh, several uh, finance leadership roles along the way, so we look forward to uh, speaking with you. But what would you share with us if I was to ask you for those experiences that you feel best prepared you for a finance leadership role? 
So a lot of what has made um, <clears throat> me successful, you know, helped me advance in my career, isn't so much the mountains, but it's the people that I've worked with that have really made a huge difference for me. And, you know, I've had a mixture, probably like everyone else, of good and bad bosses. And it's amazing how you can learn things from people that you hadn't, um, you just don't want to copy. You're just like, I'm never going to do that to somebody else. And you can learn that, hey, you know what, I loved how they handled this, and I want to do more of that. And, and so I've had an opportunity to work with people that have really just expanded my mind on, on how things can be done. And, you know, I was working with, uh, with another um, VP of finance, and I was at Computer Associates, and he really emphasized to me the power of sharing information. And it's amazing how that has continued to resonate with me for so long in my career and how I emphasize that to my team as well. Because when I was at CA, it was a big company, and there were so many different silos. And the power that finance has of sharing, you know, appropriate information. You don't want to divulge confidential stuff. But as he was showing me that we had so much power in what we could share and help people understand and feel a part of something, and we could understand this is how you're doing compared to other groups, the other geographies, other business units, it gave people insight into what was important and how they could do a better job. And, and you know, I carry that forward with me. Uh, um, when I was at Axia, I had a manager, and he, uh, I don't know if manager's not the right title, a colleague in the leadership team, and he always was adding color to things, telling people stories. And it's that power of storytelling that was so interesting. And so we would be trying to win a contract in a new country, and we did fiber optic networks. Um, globally for governments, and so they would be able to, you know, really upgrade the infrastructure of their of their country. And so we would, he would he would travel these countries, and he would spend time with the governments. And he'd come back and he'd tell us stories of what was important to that particular political party at that time. And when he told us these stories, it helped us understand what we had to respond to in our RFPs and how we had to approach the business, and it made all the difference in our success. Because we really had a chance to get to know what was happening in that business or in that country, and I bring that same passion for storytelling to my team, and so they can think about what other business units are thinking and what they're trying to accomplish. And it's so much more than just the financial metrics, but it's KPIs that are important, and it's the sentiment of what they're trying to bring to their team that I think can really make a big difference. And so those things have helped me in my career as I've moved along in my path. And so these people have helped me have big milestones in, in ways that I've seen them do things. You know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, I've seen how managers or leaders have not had their teams back or not been supportive. And, and that influences how supportive I am to my team. Because I think the team and even just the business leaders around me knowing that, you know, I'm here to help. I'm not, I'm not here to hinder. And if I push you on certain metrics or certain KPIs, it's because I want the best. It, it, it isn't to make you look bad, and so I would never want to do that to somebody else because I've seen people do it, and I, and I see how that can just, you know, ruin the rest of the meeting or ruin someone's confidence or, or, or you know, influence their ability to be able to accomplish great things, and I, and I want to be the opposite. I want to, I want to help people accomplish great things. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, to bring them down, but to, to bring them up, and so that's a big part of, of who I am and, and the career that I'm trying to build. Now, can I ask just about your, your very early chapter? Uh, was it always finance? Did you always think I'm going to uh, join the finance function of a company and, and help it grow? Or what was the... Uh... Uh, yes. Um, you know, I, I probably 
knew that finance wasn't as sexy as I wanted it to be, and I think technology was a little bit sexier in my mind, and so I think I was drawn that direction. But so much of these things are opportunity-driven, and um, one of my early um, leaders in, in a financial role um, loved the business so much, had so much care and passion for the business that he was working with, and, and I was actually just, you know, actually in you know university at the time, and so I was, I was young, and I was just like a part-time um, person helping out, and I and I and I was so attracted to the fact that how finance can make an impact in the business. You know, today I look back and I think of you know we we are messengers of information. We don't always have a lot of influence over um, the results of the business, and maybe the balance sheet's more ours than the income statement. But the income statement really is the operations of the business, and, and we're messengers of that information. But when you can have passion for that. It makes all the difference, and and that that manager that I had had so much passion that I was just I, c- I couldn't help but be attracted to to getting into finance. Um, that wasn't a technology company, but I knew quickly that I wanted to be in technology, and, and that's just because you know I love cool gadgets and and I love to be able to you know to to leverage the newest thing on the market, and so I think that's why I was drawn to drawn to technology. You know, I had the opportunity to work throughout the finance function. I've really grown up in finance, and I've done. Some of this comes from being in startup world, but I've done all the different roles, and I think that it helps me relate to people that I'm working with in that I can understand what it's like on the payable side or on the collection side or as a controller or, you know, on treasury side of things because I've, I've done lots of these roles, and I think that that helps to be able to relate to where people are at, and um, and, and it helps me have care for, for what they may be experiencing. You worked and lived in the Bay Area for a number of years. Now, was that relocation due to a desire to build your career uh, inside high tech, or what What brought you there? So I, I ended up there through an acquisition. And um, so I think what drew me to technology is that I have a ton of ambition and a ton of energy. And technology kind of like scratch at both of those issues where I, I really I, I want to move fast. I wanted to be able to, you know, to bring all of that energy to a business and, and technology moves fast and startups, you know, kind of leave you there. And so I landed in, in, in uh, the San Francisco area through, through an acquisition and I couldn't have been more excited to do that. Can you tell us a little more about that? Uh, maybe what type of company it was and, and uh, who acquired it? I hope uh, <laughs> I'm not pushing my luck on that question, but who us uh, in? No problem. So I was with a startup company. It was it was a SaaS-like company, and the founders were two brothers, very excited to be able to enter into the you know the Bay Area type um, opportunity. And this was their first venture, and they had a ton of passion around it. And it was self-service help desk software, and so they they wanted to be acquiring. You know, I almost sometimes joke that this is an acquisition based on just like pure passion for getting something done. Like these guys couldn't have had any more drive towards it than they did. And Computer Associates, CA Technologies, they were, they were, you know, they were, they are massive acquirers. And, and we, for whatever reason, were able to get the ear of them because they were a customer of ours. And they loved the software and they used it internally. And so we were able to get an acquisition um, that was exceptional for the shareholders, for these two founders that really started with them off on their path, on, on the road to, to future successes. And it was a good acquisition for CA. And what I was excited about was that, for me, it gave me a chance to get into the market in San Francisco. And so I wanted to move West Coast. Um, I wasn't living there previously. And so it was a great move for me, but I was pregnant at the time. 
And so I knew that it would have to be a good move for the family. And so that was, there was, there was some, you know, different difficulties for myself there trying to get help. I've got a super supportive husband, and, and he was excited to make the move into the States as well. And so we made that happen. Um, but CA head office is in San Francisco. It's, it's in New York. And they're, they're big offices on the island, Long Island. And um, uh, for success there, I, I had to move to the head office. And so that's what I did. And so I worked at another New York office for, for a while. And it, it wasn't the right place for me. And we also had some family difficulties. My daughter was sick. Um, and so we needed some support at home. And both of our families were back in Canada. And so we ended up moving back to Canada to get some support there. But the experience was exceptional because not only did they get to see the acquisition come together with a, a bigger company, but working in a big company is different than a startup. And you can really see how, you know, there's good and bad. There's good process. There's good um, segregation of duties. But with that comes some silos. You can see the impact that leadership has in these big companies and how it can get so easily diluted if it gets down into people at the front lines. And I think that part of what keeps a company able to transform and, and really um, to have those significant growth numbers that everyone wants to be a part of, you can't, you can't get caught up in that um, mindset where you don't have the voice at the front line in the leadership team. And I think, you know, when I was at CI, I felt a little bit of that, and I was – I was a VP of finance there, and so you know, there's a there's a couple of us with that title, and we, we were all trying so hard to really make a difference in the business. But it's, it 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 takes a different type of structure to be able to make an impact in a large company like that. And when I when I moved back to Canada, I joined a company that does fiber rockets, and it was the the appeal there was that it, it was able to be a company that had operations globally in different countries, and we really had the voice of the front line in the business. And I could feel the difference it made when we knew what our customers were thinking and wanting, and we were able to act on that. It, it wasn't a small company, but it just it, the way it was globally um, structured made a big difference in terms of how we were able to really um, benefit the customers in a great way. And, and that company ended up, you know, with some different investors in it, and um, it, it was a public company, and, and it moved into be owned by private equity. And so it was a good time for me to move on and and to join Traction on Demand here in Vancouver. And the thing that's been great here is that I, I came in as a CEO of a startup company. It's a smaller company that I joined. I think there are around you know, 150 employees. And we've grown substantially to them since then. And what I, what I love doing is thinking back and going, hey, I remember when I saw this at this company, and I remember how the leaders dealt with it. And either, you know, I, I'm drawn to, you know, someone else's positive or negative and say, I don't want to make that mistake or I want to be able to leverage the good that they brought. And so I'm, I'm careful to think through, you know, what are we doing? How are we influencing? You know, what are we trying to accomplish? And I think the, the, um, the, the pause and taking time to really be deliberate in my actions is important to me and important to my team because they know that it's not just going to be a knee-jerk reaction, but it's going to be something that's, you know, that's been thoughtful. Now, I want to uh, just mention that uh, you had been, you had several tours of duty as a vice president of finance and controller or VP and administration. So you had done uh, several tours of duty at a very high level. And when you arrive at Traction, of course, you're entering, uh, I believe, the CFO office. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, now we have a few more questions I'd love to uh Pose to you uh, later during our mentoring round. But right now, um, I want to find out what type of company is Traction on Demand? What are these offerings? And 
you know, what's its strategic edge today in the market? What would you share? So with us? we do Salesforce implementations, and Salesforce is positioned so well in the market. Um, it, it's a pleasure to kind of be part of the ecosystem and, and to join the ride of, of where Salesforce is going. And, and their acquisitions that, you know, happen regularly, you know, just continue to grow the market and what we can do for, for our customers and really transforming their business. And the timing um, for us has been great. The, um, the growth of the CRM world and, and the focus on the customer is so important today, and, and it has been for, for, for a number of years. And, and so I feel like, you know, it's a really great time to be part of the ecosystem. What makes traction different and unique, I think, is, is how we approach the work. And that comes back from our culture. And it starts right from when we hire people and goes all the way through the business. And it's, it's around people that really have um, the right attitude to bring to the, to the work to make it fun and enjoyable. And I think that's so important. I think there are, there are probably other competitors that can do similar work to what we do, but it's how we do it that makes the real difference. And it's the team of people that you're working with that, that make you want to, um, to continue to work with us. I think so much of our experiences today are, you know, working people that you want to work with. Um, the experience factor is huge in how we make buying decisions. And so, I think traction has that nail, and, and we hire people that just have that right attitude. That personality is so important, especially when you're hiring consultants, but, but in any business. And um, the tone from all levels of the organization really is around, you know, doing great work, high-quality work, but also having a lot of fun while you're doing it and having that great attitude that you're work that you, for the people that you're working with. And I think that speaks a lot to what makes us successful. It helps that we're in this great ecosystem. Um, it helps that, you know, we're, we're delivering from Canada, and, you know, m most of our um, customers are, you know, U.S. or global. And so, you know, those metrics come together nicely for us. But the most exciting thing is that, you know, we just have a lot of fun doing what we do, and we love the technology that we work in. We're very data-driven, and that puts importance on the finance role, and I think that makes it great to work in finance in a company that, you know, likes to look at the data and not afraid to, to let data help you ask the right questions. And, and, and drive the thinking a little bit versus, you know, other places where you can be working quite anecdotally. You know, it feels like this is the right answer versus this is what the data says. You know, let's, let's go ask some different questions. And so I, 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 love, I love working here, and I, I love the passion that we bring to, to the work that we do. When, you know, what I think is interesting, I, I mean, you refer to it as a great ecosystem. And what's clear is, is that this is a company that um, is serving customers and it, with a deep understanding of how they're using Salesforce, clearly, and so much innovation happening in sort of your customer ecosystem as these companies step up and use data in new and different ways. Meanwhile, back at home, you know, Corrine has uh, got all these uh, team members who uh, probably understand the origins of data and good customer data and how things are being measured. I, I, I would just believe you must have interesting conversations throughout the company in regards to data and what uh, what can be measured. Am I overstating that or am I creating this uh, this notion of a data Shangri-La that doesn't, doesn't <laughs> exist? Um, the one thing that I've learned is that data just tells you how to ask better questions. But this place is very data-driven and so you know, for someone analytical like myself, you, you've got to love that. And the one thing that's, I think, really important from the perspective in my seat is what are the trends in the data versus what is the snapshot in the moment? So, you know, as a leader,
leader, you've got to kind of have a longer-term view of what's happening in the business. And so <clears throat> the, the Shangri-Las that, yes, you know, data drives tons of our decision-making, all that's true, but you have to be careful not to be short-term focused. Um, we have to drive a long-term sustainable business, and a lot of that is around making sure that we're making the right decisions every day with a focus around, you know, what's, what's around the corner. And so we're fortunate as a good leadership team here, you know, very experienced. Um, in terms of, you know, what we're trying to, to accomplish and what we're trying to measure. And so we're careful with that. We also like to experiment a fair bit with things. And so we will have a hypothesis about what might be possible, and then we'll go collect some data on it. And we'll do an experiment, and then we'll come back and look at where the results that we expected. And it's amazing how having that mindset of, yeah, sure, let's give it an experiment, let's track some data on a change, and, and being able to look back at the data and see was your hypothesis proved right or wrong, it's a game changer for the business because you're not afraid to try something and failure is, is success. It's like, oh, we tried this and we know this isn't going to work. We try this and then we, we think it's going to work. Let's, let's experiment further. And I think the data allows you to do that type of, of, um, of tracking. If we didn't have such a focus on data, I don't think we'd be as confident in our ability to do experiments and to try new things. And so I think that that's, that's a big part of um, what allows us to, to be nimble and allows us to bring great thinking to our customers. It's how we use the data ourselves, how we transform our business regularly around technology, um, lets us do a good job for, for our customers. We, 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 we truly do more experimenting and more pushing the data out of the normal bounds for our own business and then try to bring that back to our customers. Um, and, and show them how we were able to leverage it ourselves. And so I, th I think there's a lot of success around being able to, to use data in that way. Now, what would you tell us, what are the top of mind metrics for you? What are you looking at before your first cup of coffee in the morning? Um, so we are, we, we are uh, a services firm, professional services. We, we implement Salesforce, and so we have um, significant numbers of great consultants who work with customers every day. And a lot of that comes down to, how many people, what is our hiring plan, and what's the capacity of our team compared to the amount of work that our team has for the foreseeable future. And so we spend tons of time looking through the data on what is the capacity of the business and how we're making sure that we're able to continuously bring great work to the team so that we don't have to um, have people sitting on the sidelines. And so those result in a couple of key KPIs for us. One of them is utilization. And so we're always looking at, you know, how is our team being able to, what pace are they able to work through the work, which is what utilization is, and um, are we delivering successfully on that? And so that's the efficiency of the work that we're completing. The business um, talks a lot about here about three E's. And the three E's are as what's important, but it's ecstatic customers, it's enjoyable work, and it's efficient projects. And so as long as I'm focused on those three things, I think that the business is going to be reasonably well-rounded. And so you can um, you can kind of sense what those are, but efficiency is going to be number one for me. You've got the head of finance here, so of course I'm going to be all over the efficiency of our projects, and, and that's utilization um, on the projects and how we're completing them. The next one is um, enjoyable work. And so we track the sentiment of our team through our timesheets. We take a note for each record of, of set of hours that people put in. What type of work were they doing? Was it... Um, execution, syndication, learning, administration, and then how enjoyable was it? Was it brutal? Was it mildly painful? Was it pretty good? Was it amazing? And knowing how people are enjoying the work 
is kind of a unique thing. I don't think we always remember back how we enjoy doing something or what we were doing when we enjoyed it. So our minds are so quick to only remember the most recent past, and we can't think back long term. But we have these great dashboards um, for, for everyone who fills in a timesheet, which is the bulk of our team finance fills in a timesheet, pretty much everyone does. And you can look back and say, okay, how did, what was my sentiment over time? And what work did I do that increased my sentiment? And then if we can help people get the right kind of work and we can keep them happy, and if it's not good, if we can reach out and say, hey, I can see you're going through a time, you're putting in some brutal hours, tell me about it. How can I help out? That is so powerful. If I had been able to have someone care about my happiness factor at work when I was an employee doing grunt work that I didn't enjoy and it was manual and tactical in nature, and know that someone was caring about that, it would have made a huge difference in my career trajectory. And so I feel like we can use that data for that. The last one is ecstatic customers. And while we can track our sentiment for our employees through timesheets, we also have a project management portal where customers can track their sentiment on the project. And so that gives us a really good indication of how things are going on a regular check-in basis for our customers' ability to enjoy the work that they're having with us and the progress in which we're making on their project. And so those three metrics, those are key for me. Efficient projects, enjoyable work, and ecstatic customers. And when um, those things don't always line up perfectly, it's like a three-legged stool and it's hard to keep it always in balance, but that's what I focus on every day is, is trying to balance those three things. You emphasized when, uh, in our first question or your first response uh, how important it is to share information, how important it is to communicate and share numbers. And uh, I, I'm curious, what are the types of data or numbers that you're trying to push out there, whether it's to the sales team, whether it's to the client-facing consultants? What, is, there, is there certain numbers or data that you're trying to help them you know, put in front of them so they can make correct decisions? Um, we are. You know, we're actually just um, in our budgeting cycle right now. We have an April 30th year end, and so we're just uh, in the process of, of working towards putting our budget together. And one of the things that we're doing this year that's a little bit different is we are tracking more KPIs than ever before in the budgeting cycle. And so much of that is making sure that each department, as they're putting together the financial numbers they want to accomplish, either, you know, costs or profits or just revenue for our sales, as an example, they're also looking at what are the KPIs that will know that you're being successful. And giving that appropriate attention within the budgeting cycle, I think, is a, is a bit of a, a, a different um, mix for me. I haven't, I haven't had that focus as strongly before as we are this year. And I'm excited about it because I'm letting the leaders tell me what the KPIs are that they want to focus on. And I've been surprised at some of the things that are coming in. You know, in the people team, it's, it's about how many people are being referred in from other employees versus people who are going out and, you know, finding ourselves, or the recruiting team is finding themselves. And it's interesting to think of the KPIs that they look at as being important, and then thinking about, well, how can I help influence that, and how can we make sure your budget is properly structured to help you deliver the KPIs that you want? So that's been a unique thing that I've really enjoyed being a part of it. You know, we haven't, this is early for us, we're, we're, um, we're putting more focus on it, and, and you know, it's kind of cool how systems allow you to do so much more than ever before, and so the ability to track KPIs and to be able to report on them within your financial system is, is easier than ever, and so I love the fact that we can do this, and, and finance can look more broadly than just, 
you know, your typical P&L statement, but, you know, other things. And so I think that's one of the game changers that I'm hoping to be able to leverage in the next couple of years um, when I'm working with leaders is, is that. Hi, it's Jack. We have a Thought Leader Minute now for you where I ask a a business leader a single question. For this episode's minute, we speak to Aaron Harris of Sage Intact. Now, go back 10, 15 years. Aaron spent most of his time looking into the future, trying to figure out how software was going to change how the finance function operated. Aaron's still doing the same. He's looking forward into the future. However, for once, we wanted him to look back. My question for Aaron Harris begins now. Hello, we're speaking to Aaron Harris, Senior Vice President and Head of Engineering and Technology at Sage Intact. Aaron, welcome. Thanks. Happy to be here. Aaron, having been intrinsically involved in the creation of these cloud offerings uh, for finance. How did the adoption rate of these technologies match up against your original expectations? Again, having been there from from when the cloud first arrived, how did how did it match up against your expectations? I have to say in all honesty is we thought it would happen a lot faster. Uh, we, we thought the transition to the cloud would be something that, that uh, you know, happened uh, much shorter into our journey. Um, but, but having said that, it wasn't necessarily that uh, finance was slow to the, to the party. Uh, the whole transition was a bit slower than we thought. Uh, it, it really did take uh, a company like Salesforce to hit their stride and demonstrate the value of the cloud for other organizations to, to follow on. And, and I think Salesforce was was uh, successful in part because they had a buyer that, you know, really had a little bit more freedom in, in the decisions they could make and, uh, you know, didn't have some of the restrictions of, uh, you know, requirements. Um, so, you know, it, it, I don't think accounting and finance were, were late to the party. I think the, the, the whole thing took a little longer than everybody thought it would. So good news, folks. Uh, Aaron has agreed to answer a number of additional questions for us. But first, we're going to return to our featured CFO interview, and then we'll end this episode with Aaron rejoining us and answering a few more of our questions. But right now, back to our finance leader who has a finance strategic moment for you. We always like to ask for a finance strategic moment, and by that we mean a moment of insight that you've experienced due to the lines of sight you have into the organizations. Now, it might have been at Traction on Demand, or it might have been earlier in your career, but was there a, can you recall for us a a finance strategic moment where you saw something, whether it was a risk or an opportunity, and it led you uh, to respond? And, and perhaps point the organization in a different direction. Does anything come to mind? Um, a couple of different ones, but uh, because you mentioned traction, and I'm going to mention one here at traction. And for us, uh, people are, are really the uh, the key inputs to all of our decisions. And and one of the things that we were struggling with was the pace at which we were hiring. And and to hire is to grow our revenue. And so you know, you've only got so many hours in a day, and so you need, you know add people to be able to add more revenue to the top line. And 
we, we didn't have a good connection between how the people team and the finance team and our delivery teams were all working. And so we came up with three simple metrics for how we'd be able to know how, how we should be hiring, the pace of hiring of our additional consultants. And it was an opportunity for finance to kind of lead the way on this. And so I was excited when the team kind of sat down and said, hey, what would be a balanced approach to know we should be hiring? And the three things we came up with were, we want to look in the past. And so what is the um, what is the backlog which we have to work through? Look at, you know, what's happening currently, what's the pace that our teams are working at, what's their utilization look like, and what is the future? And what is an appropriate pipeline that we should have going forward? And finance led the process and, and was able to bring together so many stakeholders around the business to discuss these key measures. And what I loved about it was that as we started talking about it, it actually brought up different conversations with this group that, you know, hadn't previously worked together as closely on the business. And it allowed us to have a conversation around data. And we, we shared the data early in the process, and, and people came prepared to discuss it. And people started saying things like, this is my favorite meeting. And, oh, I look forward to this meeting every month. And that's when I knew we had really had a strategic moment where we were making a difference. And it was exciting for um, myself and for our team to see that, you know, it was it was our ability to share that information that, that made a big difference for the team. Not our team, but for the company. And so it was it was a it was a great moment to just kind of act strategically and kind of step away from from the typical historical reporting forecasting and say, hey, now how do we help make as a company make better decisions? And so and so that was great. I'm going to give just one more quick example. Um, we often look at you know different ways of setting up our billing types. And so you know in professional services there's fixed fee, there's TNM, there's retainers, there's managed services. There's lots of different ways you can do things. And the finance team was was trying to to find the right balance of fixed price projects, which carry a whole bunch of risk, and can be quite difficult for our consultant and the customer because um, as a consultant you want to hold the scope as as tightly as possible so you can deliver successfully. And from a customer's perspective, you want to just meet the needs of your business. And so there's, there's a, a natural bit of like push and pull on that. And so we wanted to find a balance for how to manage these fixed price contracts. And so as a finance team, we kind of stepped back and said, hey, there, there's got to be an easier way to do this. And so we came up with some ideas and we took it back to our sales team and to our legal group. And we were able to address the problem that I don't think finance normally gets involved in and, and find some good solutions and bring some opportunities for, for new ways for our sales team to deliver different what we call billing structures. And so I felt like that was a real strategic moment for, for finance to be able to step in and, and help solve a problem that maybe people didn't appreciate we were having as much as we did and, and, and make a difference. And so those are two moments that I'm quite happy that I was able to be a part of here at Traction. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. 
Well, we're going to jump to our uh, mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and offer advice to future finance leaders. We like to begin with this one. Um, what's exciting you now about business and finance? And you've had this uh, career with multiple companies, so you have a lot of insight into how finance partners with organizations. But what is it that's what's exciting you about uh, finance and business? Oh, so one thing that immediately popped to mind um, was that when I was at, at Axiom, where uh, Fiber Office kind of a bit of a global presence, and one of the things that I loved was how, um, it, even with the, the approach to being a CPA globally, and how we were able to speak similar language across the globe. And recently we opened an office in India, and I was so excited to be able to be part of um, setting up some of the processes and the structures around how we're going to do things in India with our audit firm there and our, and our some tax advisors and transfer pricing. And the, the common language we all spoke globally, it was just phenomenal in my mind. And it, it felt like the world wasn't that big. We, we, we weren't that different. We were all working towards a common goal. And, and I loved I, I love how that's so possible today globally where, you know, there's lots of barriers to be able to do global business. But one of the things that's so beneficial that we're all speaking a very similar language, and I think IFRS helps us with that, and I think just the, the um, ability for so many of us to be reading similar type articles through social media and through, you know, broad sharing of, of um, financial relevant articles, that, that just it's great to be able to see how we can all work together in that way. Looking back at the first time you took on the title of CFO and uh, the CFO leadership position, we always like to ask, what is it that you wish someone had told you? And you were prepared, undoubtedly, for the position, having been in senior finance roles all along. But there was this one piece of advice that would have gone a long way had someone whispered it in your ear as you entered that office. What Anything come to mind when I describe it that way? You know, I'm fortunate that I have been given so much advice, and I've also, um, maybe I haven't had the same title, but I've been the head of finance in, in, in lots of organizations, and so um, I was used to a lot of the um, the responsibility around the head of finance, but I think one thing that recently has um, has hit me a little bit harder is the importance of, of having a strong support system around you, and I was um, listening to a Simon Sinek uh podcast recently, and, and he talked a lot about the fact that it takes courage to be a leader, and that courage can come internally from what you've <clears throat> experienced in the past and, you know, what you bring naturally to the job, and it can come externally. It can come from the support that's around you when someone comes along behind you and says, hey, I've got your back on this. You can do it, and, and or, or, you know, we're all in this together. Let's, let's work through the problem. Let's, you know, let's um, collaborate together, and, and I didn't appreciate how important that relationship was going to be with other leaders in the business. And having the opportunity to work with some great leaders has really been phenomenal for me. And those relationships take time to foster and to build, and, and I'm, I'm enjoying that, but I didn't appreciate how important it was and how, um, how it, 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 it's a real aspect of the job that takes time to put into building the relationships and, and collaborating with other people and giving them the support that they need and, and, uh, and having each other's back. And so it's been, it's been fun growing and learning through that process. Is there a personal habit that you have or maybe a routine that has in some way contributed to your professional success? Um, 
So I, I am definitely someone who needs to be organized. I, I run my, my weeks and my months quite structured. I think that comes naturally for those of us in finance who are used to, you know, closing a month and a quarter and a year, and, and we kind of have a cycle to us. And so that's um, really important to me is to, to have the time it takes <clears throat> to plan out my, t- my, my week and my month. And so I specifically set aside time every Friday <clears throat> to plan for the next week. And I, I, I do a, a series of one-on-ones with my team. And I take time before I start those to make sure that I'm being really deliberate about what's important, where is this person going from a career perspective, what's happening for them in their day-to-day that I need to be aware of and so that I can be there and, and, and come curious, come ready to listen. And so I spend time planning for those things. I don't want to go in and, and just kind of like, you know, make a quick decision on things. I, I want people to know that, you know, I care about these things and I've, I've thoughtfully approached them. And so I, I, I thoughtfully approach my week and my month and what are my priorities. Um, we do a quarterly planning session in our business where we, um, we have a goal-setting process, as we call it, a V2 mom. And um, that process is important in terms of knowing what are we going to accomplish, what's the vision of what we're going to do over the next term, and, and talking to my team about it and getting their input and giving everyone a, a chance to have a voice at the table within the team on, you know, what is important, what are they facing, what do we need to look at. And so, you know, just having time for that. We all talk about having our, you know, busy days and our busy lives, and I think that hurts sometimes our ability to accomplish great things. And so I want to make sure that I, I, I take the time to plan out myself and give my team some space to talk and to hold, hold time for them in the group so that everyone can feel like they understand what are we trying to accomplish and they can have a voice into that. So those are, those are maybe a long-winded way of saying that for me, it's all about taking the time to, to know what I want to accomplish and, and planning for that appropriately. I have, uh, we're gonna we're up to our final question, but I do want to circle back with you on something you mentioned uh, towards the beginning of our talk, which had to do with legacy. And I'm wondering, uh, legacy is both personal and professional. Uh, were you? And, and, and I'm curious about you as an individual when it comes to mentoring others. You've placed emphasis on that. As far as uh, your life and, and work-life balance, you relocated. You raised a family. Um, you had to make decisions based on both professional and personal choices. Um, I don't think any of us can ever find that perfect balance. And I, I know there's different seasons um, that, that require different things. And so, you know, I, 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 can, I can tell that there's a season when, you know, my family needs me or my kids need me or my parents or work has different things that are drawing me. And so I think the most important thing for me to be successful is to be present in the moment that I'm in and not worry about what's happening outside of this moment, but just <clears throat> focus on the moment that I'm in and making the most out of that. And so when I'm with my kids, I'm present in that moment and I'm trying not to think about work. And, you know, I really don't struggle with that too much because I just I just feel like, hey, this is the moment I'm in. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to give it my all and make it the best that I can make it and focus on the people that I'm with in that moment. And so if that's homework, if that's at work, or if that's with friends, the most important thing is that I'm present in that moment, and, and I find overall that, you know, I'm, I'm making sure my time is being spent where I want to spend it. There is definitely not balance, but I'm not looking for that. I'm actually really happy with being able to pursue the things that I can pursue based on the opportunities presented in front of me. And so, you know, I, I enjoy that. But I'm very fortunate that I have a super supportive husband 
and he makes it possible that uh, you know for both of us that we can we can both pursue what we want to pursue and we both want to see each other happy and and thriving in life and so when we're focused on that I think that allows us to be able to to do what we need to do wherever we are family friends the kids at work in all aspects of life okay our final question over the next 12 months what are your priorities as a finance leader so the big priority for me is, is number one is always team and um, we've got a number of positions we're trying to fill right now and so bringing in the right um, people with the right attributes the right experience and most importantly the right attitude is, is key and, and we all know that you know <clears throat> sometimes you know a bad apple can can, uh, can make the whole uh, pot go bad and so we want to be able to you know find great people and, and to build the team appropriately and so that's a big part of what I focus on and building the next group of leaders is is really a part of what we want to accomplish here attraction and in my team and so lots of time mentoring thinking through things including people in meetings that wouldn't normally be included in giving them some time to you know give you a reaction after a meeting that's a massive part of what we want to accomplish the other thing is that we need to make sure that we continue to run this business in a financially healthy and sustainable way and so we are always looking at how do we focus on the right KPIs and like I mentioned previously, experimenting with different things in the business is, is in our DNA. And so looking at, you know, what are some of the things that we need to do to make sure that the business is financially stable is, is really, really important. And there's lots of change happening all around us. That's the one thing we're always promised is change. And so making sure that finance changes with the business is, is really important. And I am working hard to leverage technology to give my team more time to analyze things. And I know that putting in place new technology, automating processes, um, that, that can't be done off the side of the desk. That needs, that needs time and attention, and it needs a, a clear vision of what we want to accomplish. And so if um, I can balance that with the other need, I think we're going to have a lot of success in our finance team. I want technology to be the game changer for our finance team. And so we are working hard to find the right systems to be able to allow us to do that. We have a best agreed approach here, and so we're always looking at what's available in the market, and, and what, what can be integrated well within our current stack. And so from that focus, I think we're able to, to be able to bring things in that can take my team out of the tactical day-to-day, -day, automate everything that can be automated, and continually push the email work on technology. So those three things, focusing on the team, building great leaders, um, the financially stable, sustainable um, balance sheet and income statement, and then lastly, leveraging technology. That's the, uh, that's the focus for the year. Kareen Wah, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, we're back with Sage and Cat's Aaron Harris. And we always enjoy having you look back for us, Aaron. As you sort of played the visionary and, and developed portions of the functionality in these offerings for the finance executives, you're constantly assessing their pain points, their needs, what areas of the software were developed for finance, and you were surprised it didn't get traction. And likewise, what portions of this offerings very quickly uh, achieved traction that surprised you? What would you tell us? So, and maybe we can just get it into the context of how we've, we think we've expanded the definition of the general ledger. We've expanded 
the story, you know, about what, about what you can do with a finance, you know, with accounting and finance applications. And that there were two things in particular that we did to really drive that expanded view. Um, the one that worked incredibly well, it was you know, instant adoption when we launched it, was the, the ability to, to extend the general ledger with, with dimensions. Uh, so, so moving from the old, you know, the classic, you know, segmented chart of accounts, uh, uh, we had a very long chart of accounts with, with segments for different profit centers or cost centers or, or projects, um, and, and transforming from that to this dimensional general ledger, that took off like, like uh, I mean, it was, it was crazy how fast our customers adopted that. And, and frankly, we, we released those capabilities back when we really had, we, we didn't really have the capability to do a lot of pre-marketing, a lot of pre-work to get customers sort of aware of what was coming. Uh, they saw it, they took advantage of it, and it's, it's been a, a, a wonderful uh, trend for us. And of course, we've continued to leverage that in pretty much everything we do in the product. Now, a, a corollary to that, that you know, we just, we haven't had as much success with is using the general ledger to track, you know, non-financial information. Uh, so, so tracking things like uh, square footage in a restaurant and how that changes over time, or tracking uh, the number of patient days in in long-term care facilities, uh, or tracking you know the the number of nights uh, you had uh, let in hotel rooms. And what we what we found there is that it, it, it tells a very compelling story, and I think it's part of the reason why organizations choose to adopt the product. Um, uh, uh, there's still work to do, I think, to get people to really implement and really see the value of that uh, as, they, as they build out KPIs that are much more sophisticated than your basic financial KPIs that you would normally uh, you know, measure an organization against. What do organizations that have an appetite for non-financial data have in common? We would suspect that they're a little more mature in terms of how they're they're leveraging the technology um, already. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Uh, they just have higher expectations about uh, the kind of analysis they can do on the performance of the organization. Uh, that, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, the, the, the good news is that in, in some industries, this is mandated or regulated. Uh, so if, if you actually happen to be in uh, you know, long-term care, for example, um, producing financial metrics that are based on the, the number of patients you have uh, at any given time, you know, that, that's a sort of industry standard, you know, borderline uh, regulated. Uh, so, you know, once they get uh, a sense of what they can accomplish with that, that, that you know, sort of emboldens them with the freedom to, to explore beyond that. But, but you nailed it. You know, this, is, this is really organizations who are at the leading edge who simply expect better capabilities and better data to, to analyze with. We are just repeatedly asking this question now, and I don't know if I posed it to you, though, Aaron. What, what, uh, what are the popular non-financial uh, measures that you see uh, popping up? And uh, the net promoter score is the one, perhaps, that we see uh, increasingly. Sure. I mean, uh, so customer churn is um, a pretty common metric that people want to be able to look at, and that, that sort of spans industries. Uh, so so uh, another sort of corollary to customer churn 
would be customer acquisition cost uh, stated as you know the number of years it takes to to pay back the acquisition costs. So if you are a uh, a cloud uh, business, a, a metric that cloud organizations uh, are often uh, measured by is you know, what is the payback period. Uh, uh, you know, after which the, the customer you know, actually becomes profitable. Uh, so when you pay back the sales and marketing expense, and and that's really so. So what the motor score is is a fantastic example. Uh, it, it's a measure that actually has you know, really no financial um, uh, elements to it in the way that it's computed. However, it, it is a strong measure uh, for for other financial outcomes. So. That's a scenario where we would really encourage uh, our customers to track net promoter score, so that they can actually see how it impacts uh, other elements of their business, like churn. Uh, churn and, and customer acquisition cost; those are good examples of metrics that are combining traditional elements like marketing and sales expense with non-traditional things like you know, customer counts. Uh, you know that you don't typically track in the general ledger. Uh, so, so uh, you know, both are, are sort of equally important. One of the things that that we're spending time right now on is getting to the next level of these metrics and helping organizations to understand the interplay between them. Uh, what happens when you pull, you know, lever A, uh, you know, for for lever B? You know, so if I if I increase my um, expense in customer service, thereby improving my net promoter score. What's the impact on churn? I'm curious. Again, I love the perspective that you enjoy. You've been going to customer conferences all this time, no doubt, and you've been answering their questions in person. Uh, you've been speaking to them from the podium, no doubt, as well. But uh, that one-on-one -on -one sort of feedback that you get, I'm wondering. You know, if you compare to, uh, you know, 15 years ago, what they were asking you, what were you uh, sharing with them in a conversation versus today? In some respects, it hasn't changed. In certain respects, it's altogether different as to what you're being asked and, and, and what your, your, your answers are. Um, am I characterizing that correctly, or how would you explain um, that one-on-one -on -one customer feedback that you're expected to give at times? Yeah, the, the dynamic has changed pretty dramatically, uh, and that does reflect not only the, the progression of, of cloud and, and adoption of cloud, but, but also the progression of stage impact. Uh, as you know, we went from an organization that was really challenged to convince people to adopt the cloud, uh, not only from the you know unfamiliarity that that prospective customers had with the cloud, uh, but also that as a, as a young company, we, we simply didn't have a lot of the capabilities that, that organizations needed. So, um, you know, those, those conversations 15 years ago tended to be quite a bit uh, more painful and then also tactical. You know, I, I was talking to customers who had very tactical problems or, or requirements that they needed solutions for. Uh, they, they weren't, you know, getting into... Uh, uh, you know, sort of the strategic uh, requirements. Uh, fast forward 15 years, and the conversations are entirely about how do we maximize 
the value from software. Uh, you know, how, how do we achieve uh, that strategic uh, vision? Uh, something that, that, you know, we have been consistent about over the years is that our, our vision has not been to just help accounting teams automate their tasks so you get simple reporting. We wanted them to become more strategic. We wanted them to be able to show that they could provide more than just basic financials. And those are the conversations we're having now. Uh, CFOs really are trying to, to leverage technology to be you know, strategic decision makers and, and to provide strategic guidance to the organization. Aaron Harris, thank you for joining us on CFO Vault Leader. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.